Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Hannah Wordy, the marketing director at Icelandic Skis. Welcome, Hannah. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited. As a... Uh, Denver ski boy. It's cool to talk to somebody who's on the inside of such a cool industry. It's a fun industry to be a part of, for sure. Do you mind just sort of telling us through your history and how you went from being a journalism and poli-sci major to being a marketing director at a ski company? Totally. There's definitely quite a bit of backstory to this one. I went to CU right here in Boulder, where I currently still live. And while I was at CU, I directed the Ski and Snowboard Club, and we had a lot of events. We did a lot of trips, uh, got to work with a lot of sponsors, you know, Red Bull, different ski companies, stuff like that. And so I decided I could, you know, make a living out of this, hopefully. You know, I wanted to work in the outdoor industry and do something along those lines because I knew it was something I was passionate about. I also graduated, you know, right around the 2016 election. And without getting into politics too much, I was a little discouraged about going into political journalism at that time. So I went and I worked for a marketing agency. I had kind of applied to a bunch of different agencies at the time. And I found one where Icelandic Skis was a client. And I immediately basically said, I I need to get a job there. (laughs) I I need to have Icelandic as a client. So I went into the interview and, you know, after I think second or third interview, I said, you know, if if this happens, if I get to come work here, I would really like to be on the Icelandic account. And I did, I got the job and I went um, and Icelandic was one of my main clients. And I was super stoked because just, I got to do what I loved. I also in the, at the agency got to learn a lot in a short amount of time. It was a small boutique agency. So I was really hands-on you know, with the clients. And then I also just started hanging out with the Icelandic team. You know, I started skiing together and they invited me to some of their retreats. Eventually, you know, they, I could kind of sense they were starting to maybe pull away from the agency. And I, you know, at the end of the day, really wanted to work in-house and be on the brand side. So I kind (laughs) of, I basically went up to Ben Anderson, the founder at OR, um, which is the big industry trade show. And I went up to him and I just said, Hey, I think you guys are maybe thinking about going a different direction. I think you should hire me. (laughs) And here's why. Um, And I was super upfront about it and um, persistent. And then, yeah, a couple of months later, I was working for them in-house. That's amazing. It's such a bold and empowering move just to like walk up and be like, hey, this is kind of what I feel. Yeah. Obviously, agency work is very dynamic and you're working on tons of different projects and tons of different deadlines. What made you want to work in-house or was it just specifically working for this one brand that was like, I think, I think this is where I want to spend my time? Yeah, I think I kind of knew I wanted to work in-house, you know, with one company, whether it was Icelandic or another company that I was passionate about, just because it felt, you know, at the agency or I was spread pretty thin. I had, I think, you know, total at one point I had eight or nine clients and I was working with all of them and they were all very awesome clients, but I felt I was pretty surface level with a lot of them. And I really wanted to dive in and kind of become immersed, I guess, with one brand and 
really be able to work with them directly on all their different initiatives, you know, not just digital marketing or social media or whatever our relationship was with a specific client. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to marketing for Icelandic, given that the ski industry is such a, a crowded and it's sort of maybe dominated by these large ski brands. Um, how do you guys stay competitive and, and set yourself apart? You know, I think there are so many really cool ski companies doing really cool things, you know, whether they're taking a higher, you know, tech approach or they're committing super to sustainability. At the end of the day, every ski company out there for the most part makes a good product and makes good skis. Um, you'd be, you could walk into a ski shop and, you know, pick up a pair of pretty much any ski on the wall and know that, you know, that ski is going to get you down the mountain. And then I think it's just about, trying to figure out what ski you like and what, you know, which one is the right one for you. Uh, Icelandic, you know, we, we have kind of three, I guess, big things that differentiate our company um, from a lot of the other companies on in the marketplace right now. One is our artwork. Travis Parr is one of the co-founders and he has been designing the artwork since day one of our top sheet art. Every year there's a different theme. Every year he just continues to surprise us and outdoes himself. So yes, the artwork is definitely a big part of who we are. It makes us recognizable. People will see the art on a ski in the chairlift line and know it's an Icelandic ski. The second thing is that we are USA made. When you're working for a bigger company, you know, bigger companies are making a ton of skis and they're usually outsourced overseas, um, whether that's Europe or Asia or anywhere. And we have a pretty distinct advantage that we get to make our skis, you know, right down the road in Denver. And we have such a close relationship with our factory. They manufacture snowboards as well. So we get to work with them and just have a super hands-on approach to how we make skis um, and know that we can take a 20-minute drive down the road if we need to, to check in on things. Earlier this year, we had a small issue with, you know, when skis come out of the press, sometimes they'll have a little concavity or, you know, there'll be some flatness issues. And that's pretty common for skis coming out of the press. And we noticed that was happening and we were able to send a few members of our team there to go test, you know, watch a ski go through the whole process, go through the press, figure out exactly what was going on. Was it the, you know, the, was it the humidity in the factory? Was it the way the ski was getting grinded? And they were able to resolve it within a week. And then this, you know, the problem was solved. And I think that's just a huge advantage for how we keep our skis so durable and keep the quality control so tight because um, we get to be there and we don't have to, you know, fly overseas or have phone conversations about how to fix that kind of problem. I think the third thing would be our three-year bomb-proof guarantee, um, our warranty program. So we really stand by the skis that we put out there. Um, if something happens, you know, an edge pops out or, Something that's not supposed to happen, we will replace that ski, no questions asked. To my knowledge, we're the only ski company with a three-year warranty program like that. Um, and I think that just really goes to show what kind of product we're putting out there. Yeah, it sounds like such a uh, thoughtful and caring small group of people. Can you talk about maybe the advantages of working with such a small and dedicated team, especially in this like beautiful network that you're all sort of close to the operation and it sounds like you're all active skiers that you know go out and crush every weekend <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have a really awesome 
team. At the end of the day, we're we're all skiers. We have a few snowboarders too, and that that's okay. We don't discriminate. It's, <laughs> um, a, it's a modern world. We're all looking yeah. for the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. We are our target demographic. You know, we're we're making skis that we want to ski every day of the season. And so we're we're truly crafting product for ourselves and trying to just keep it super fun. You know, I think that's a huge part of Icelandic and who we are is like, let's keep skiing fun. And you know, it's definitely like any sport can get too serious or too intense or too competitive. Um but we just want to be able to put out a product that you know people can get on and go have a good time and go skiing and get to explore nature, um, and that's that's pretty cool because we all get to we all stand by it so strongly. For me, it makes it really easy to market a product that I feel so confident about um, and that I love <laughs> so much. Yeah, I love that. And I think in a previous conversation, you mentioned uh, making a product that's relatable to the everyday skier, and I think that touches on that point of it can be really intimidating as a sport. There's a high cost of entry. There's like a lot of preparation. There's a lot of skill involved. Can you talk about that concept of a ski that that isn't intimidating or isn't doesn't make you go like, wait a minute, is this ski over my head or is this ski, does it like, I don't understand the technical side of the ski? There is a very high cost of entry. We have a long way to go to make skiing more approachable and available to an entry level person. That's something that I think everybody recognizes in terms of, you know, in terms of both ability and intimidation, in terms of economic factors and social factors. You know, there's there's a lot that we have to do from from my end. I know that one thing I can kind of control and we can control is like, let's not make skiing this super scary thing that people have to be intimidated to get into. You know, these are skis and they're going to get you down the mountain. They're really beautiful. They're really strong and they're great skis. And we try really hard to just keep it relatable. You know, I think it's it's easy to consist, consistently show imagery and video of skiing at its peak, you know, beautiful powder days and big cliff drops or whatever it may be. And don't don't get me wrong, we definitely show some of that as well in our imagery and our storytelling. But the what's relatable is you know, driving up I-70 and skiing copper after, you know, six inches maybe, and it's totally skied out and it's super bumpy and maybe it's cloudy out and the visibility isn't great. And that is what most people are skiing most of the time. So trying to show through our marketing and our storytelling that that's, that's a type of skiing that you are likely going to be doing and our skis can get you through that. And you're going to have a really good time doing it. That's a big part of who we are is, you know, we're not just this big, you know, ski company with lots of, you know, huge Olympian athletes. A lot of our athletes are very relatable and have their own lives and their people first. And we try and just create and cultivate this community of, you know, we're, we're all humans and we like to ski. How can we do that? And how can we get other people to join? Can you talk a little bit about how athletes play into your strategy as a marketer? Our athletes and our ambassadors are a huge part of who we are and our overall community. It might sound cliche, but our athletes and ambassadors kind of are our family. I'm with them traveling, doing a lot of content for a large portion of the winter. You know, they're, they're very close friends at this point. And I guess my philosophy and, you know, with our athletes in our marketing, it's kind of like I've been talking about this whole time. It's, you know, just trying to keep it relatable and authentic. I think there's a lot of, you know, big name athletes for, 
not just ski brands for any, you know, any company, you know, they can be super inspirational for young kids or for somebody looking up to them, but also not at the same time, not super relatable. You know, they're so far above this skill set right. that they're the average like person Mount has. Olympus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, how, wow, that's so cool. But that'll never be me, you right. know? Um, or maybe it will. And maybe that is what you're aspiring to be. And that's cool too. We're trying to incorporate our athletes into more and more um, events and activities and experiences with our brand where people can go, you know, ski with one of our athletes and ski for the day at Alta or, you know, a basin in Colorado, wherever it may be, and just have a good time. Um, you know, I, our athletes have their own lives. They're not just skiers. You know, one of our big athletes, Julian Carr, he directs and races or runs this trail race series every summer. Um, and he's built this huge company for himself. Um, another one of our athletes, Amy David is working to get her guide cert certification. She's doing a lot of avalanche education and stuff like that. And so there's so many, there's so much more to our athlete team than just skiing. And we want to highlight and also support that, you know, um, I want to encourage our athletes and our ambassadors to, to do things that aren't just skiing our product and showing that. Yeah. Do you have any, are there any stories of these events or these community organized activities that sort of have filled you with pride or made you go like, wow, this is exactly what we're trying to do. It's just cool to see people interact in this way. We offered this women's only backcountry hut trip. Um, and we, this was something that I had put together with myself, our CEO, who's a female, Annalisa Lovely, and then two of our athletes, Amy, David, and Anna Tedesco. Three years ago, we sat down and we had this vision and we wanted to put it together. We, we put together, we created a page and we sold this trip, you know, three, four days in the back country, yoga, you know, doing some yoga, doing some meditation, doing some avalanche education. And it was this kind of whole immersive experience. We had to postpone twice because of COVID, which was really sad. But um, the really cool thing was we, when we sold, put the trip out there, we sold out in maybe under 10 minutes and we had 70 women on the wait list. That was one of the coolest things I've seen, um, like that much, um, you know, that much demand for an experience where women get to come and hang out with, you know, a few members of the Icelandic team and then some of our athletes and get to go do, do a trip in nature. And it wasn't, you know, the cost wasn't crazy high. It was relatively affordable for what it was. And, you know, the response from everybody on the trip was so strong, so grateful for us having brought that together. And it's definitely something I want to do more of with Icelandic and offer more experiences, not just, you know, women's only trips, but across the board, because I think that is a, something that people are looking for right now, post COVID. I think a lot of people are looking to spend their dollars in experiences and activities. So it's something I want to continue to offer because I definitely saw the power of it with this, this one trip. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's huge. Can you tell us what it means to have a strong female CEO in such a historically male-dominated industry? Gosh, Annalisa Lovely. Um, I could talk about her forever. Annalisa is somebody I I had looked up to, you know, when I was still in college. I knew she was the CEO of Icelandic and, you know, just such a strong female name in the industry for not just her gender, but, you know, 
she was such a strong leader and it was so clear in everything that I read about her. You know, I think a lot of people in the the industry will recognize that it can be a bit of a boys club, especially in the leadership teams, but that is changing a lot. I think we are seeing more and more women and people of color and come into the outdoor space in terms of leadership. And, you know, obviously that's so important for so many reasons and that's a whole nother conversation, but um, yeah, seeing Anna was so important to me because it really showed me not only can I be a woman in this industry and come in and, you know, do some marketing, but also I could, I could be a leader in this industry. You know, she's commanded so much respect by maintaining a a humble and kind of calm leadership approach. Um, And so she, yeah, she just taught me a lot. Um, I think it's, it's also some, you know, one of the things her and I talk about a lot um, is that, you know, just the topic of women in leadership roles. Um, I think, you know, if it's so often we kind of hear the stereotypes like, oh, well, if it's a woman's too bossy or, you know, if she's too commanding, she's too opinionated, too much to say she's bossy. But if she says too little, if she doesn't have an opinion, then, you know, then she's, she's weak and she's not taking enough of a stand. Um, and so there's that constant, I think, line we walk as women, as leaders of trying to maintain this, you know, leadership and pushing, you know, bringing us all forward while, while also not losing our sense of selves. And yeah, Anna has just taught me a lot about that. So I'm very grateful for that and, and the ability to just have somebody in my close team that I can talk to about that kind of stuff. Um, we have, you know, we have women on our team and that's awesome because, um, you know, even looking back to the ski club in college, it was all guys. I was the only female. I absolutely love that. And it's nice to have a leader that you can look up to and uh, collaborate with in so many different ways. So being a Colorado brand, where did the name Icelandic come from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a really good question. <laughs> we get asked that a lot. <laughs> um, to my understanding, um, you know, and I'm still, I've, I've been working with Icelandic for you know five years now three years in-house and then two years with the agency. Um, so I don't know the, the whole backstory. I obviously wasn't around when Icelandic was born, but to my understanding, um, it's not a very complicated story. Um, and that Ben Anderson, one of the founders, and then Travis Parr and Travis Cook and a few of the others were kind of talking about it one day. Um, and they had been going back and forth and kind of just spitting out names and throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. Um, but Travis, or I think Travis Parr had said, you know, what about Icelandic? And Ben said, yeah, that that's pretty cool. We like that name. Um, and then it just stuck. So we haven't, yeah, we have no roots to Iceland um, or any <laughs> affiliation with the beautiful country that Iceland is. But um, to my understanding, it's um, it was one of those, I think that's a cool name, guys. <laughs> And then it just stuck. <laughs> yeah, it is such a cool name. What's a big focus of Icelandic going forward? I think a big focus for us right now and moving forward is kind of just continuing our ski development and manufacturing. We were, I think, kind of in this survival mode for two years, you know, through the pandemic. We fought supply chain issues and rising cost increases and labor shortages and people getting COVID and the factory having to shut down. You know, we our, our mission was really like, let's, you know, we've got to keep making skis and let's get them out the door and to the people who want to buy them. 
So we stayed very lean. You know, we didn't put a ton of budget into research development, but we stayed lean so that, you know, hopefully that when we came out of it, we'd be in a a position to excel. Um, And that's where we are now, which is really exciting. We're kind of in this next phase of, okay, like what does our ski line look in three years and five years? What development projects are we working on in the background? Um, and that's, it's a, it's a really fun position to be in because we're rethinking things. We're asking tough questions. We're having a lot of internal conversations about, you know, what our line might look like. And um, yeah, so I think that's our, one of our biggest focuses that, and, um, you know, probably sustainability piece. Um, we, we def we, are taking some of the first steps to try and make some actual positive change in our ski manufacturing process and how we make our skis, which is, which is hard because all the materials for skis are traditionally not sustainable. Um, It's like layers of woods and plastics and metals and polys. Yeah. Resin. Yeah. yeah, There's some pretty inherently non-sustainable materials, but we're starting to experience experiment with different materials and different ski construction and um, stuff like that in our factory. And that's really exciting because definitely not going to say we're all of a sudden this super sustainable company, but we're taking some steps to, to innovate. Um, And obviously our quality and our durability is number one. So making sure that we can do that while also keeping the, you know, our, our integrity, and the ski composition strong and everything like that is huge. Um, but it's cool. It's, there's a lot of companies out there who are, have fully committed to it, you know, wonder and season or a couple of companies that are really playing the sustainability. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge part of their company and it's, it's cool to watch. Cause I think we have a lot to learn, um, from what they've done and how they've made it profitable. So yeah, it's a cool place to be. Um, now that we're kind of, you know, hopefully cross our fingers coming out of this pandemic thing. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're yeah. still seeing a lot of the supply <laughs> chain issues and um, shipping delays and stuff like that. But um, I think we're, like I said, yeah, heading in the right direction. Yeah. Did it uh, affect the way that work happened at Icelandic? The Because I feel like a lot of companies came out and then they're like, oh, we're working in a whole different way now. (laughs) We're hybrid. We're remote. We're, you know, like. I think it did in a good way. We've always been, because we're so small, it's very much a like be your own boss kind of environment. Nobody's really going to tell you when to come in or what hours to work. Kind of take care of your stuff and get it done. Uh, If you want to go ski, that's great. But still make sure your, your job is done. And so we had a lot of people in and out of the office and it was just kind of very free form. Um, when the pandemic had hit, we started doing Zoom calls every week. And that was like the first time we had ever done that as a company, like actually all come together every week and do, you know, a check-in. So if anything, I think, you know, the pandemic actually kind of brought us closer together in a way. We had to do some serious, you know, evaluating of our budgets and seeing, you know, what are we spending money on? What is this a good decision? You know, is you know, could we do without this? Or maybe we should be spending more money here. And we had a lot of conversations like that as a team, which really, I think just elevated our our sense of kind of togetherness and being being a true like functioning team that works together. And now, you know, Ben, our, our you know, the founder, owner, um, he is moving, he has moved to Montana 
Um, and actually Annalise is uh, taking a sabbatical right now. And so I think all of those things have only become possible because through the past two years, we've kind of all really just truly owned our roles. And Ben and Anna are in a position where they can kind of step back a little bit and trust us more. And, you know, not to say that they're not involved at all, you know, but Ben gets to really focus in on ski development and and Anna's doing some larger, broader picture thinking about the company as a whole and where we're headed. And um, yeah, so it's it's very exciting. I, I would definitely say it's changed. It changed a lot for us, but for the better. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful takeaway. Is there any original artwork that we should be on the lookout for? As of now, I don't know what's next in terms of our inline artwork. I haven't seen any sneak peeks or anything, but we are doing this very cool national park collection. So every year we are introducing a new national park and PAR is doing the artwork to highlight one park. Um, we're donating a percentage of sales back to the park foundation or back to each park individually to kind of support that. And that's been a really fun project. And we started with Rocky Mountain National Park. So that's obviously right in our backyard. And then last year we did Grand Teton National Park. And then we'll have one coming out in December. And uh, um, I haven't seen the artwork yet, but I've seen some sneak peeks and um, I think it's going to be beautiful. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the park may or may not be in the state of Montana. I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, but that'll be our kind of big December reveal. And uh, that's been a really fun project to work on. Yeah, it's so cool. You're like building a brand through beautiful art and community. Like it's a it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, without sounding too, you know, freeform hippie. I mean, it is very cool. It's very powerful and I feel so strongly attached to it because it really does feel organic and it feels so authentic. It doesn't feel like the company has ever really tried to be anything it's not. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. No, we get it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do. I feel so lucky to get to say that I love what I do every day. Um, and I think that's because I work for such an awesome company. <laughs> So this is Stand With The Brand. Today, we have Dove. So Unilever, who owns Dove, has noticed how much toxic messaging has been going around, especially for young girls uh, and social media specifically. And they wanted to do something about it. So Dove invited parents and their girls to sit down and talk about social media. So they invited uh, specifically moms and the girls to each share their thoughts on social media and then had the girls start to kind of scroll through their feed while displaying it on the TV so the moms could see it with them, that kind of thing. And then they turned around and actually used face mapping technology and they did a deep fake using their mom's faces, uh, telling them certain uh, beauty things that they should be doing. For example, one of the things that one of the moms was saying uh, that she actually didn't say, though, because it was a deep fake was Botox is amazing. You're never too young to start. And at the very end, as you know, everyone's face is just horrified because they didn't actually say that. Um, Dove put the message, you wouldn't say that to your daughter, but she still hears it every day online. So Dove's Dove's self-esteem project has developed tools so parents can help their girls detoxify their feeds because at the end of the day, a girl's greatest influence 
uh, will be her parents or whoever is raising her. So my question to you, Hannah, is do you stand with the brand Dove on this or do you take a seat? I stand with the brand on this. I had a pretty strong reaction watching that commercial or, you know, that short video. Um, I had a very strong reaction, actually. I had goosebumps all over. Um, One, because, you know, there's definitely some inherent shock value there. You know, all of a sudden, the moms with the face mapping technology is they're talking to their daughters and, you know, their their jaws are on the floor. Um, And so there's definitely that piece of it. And I think and Dove is awesome. I think they've been kind of pushing this message for a long time. So I, I, I stand with them. Um, I think we've seen, you know, forever how toxic the, you know, the beauty industry can be, um, how, and with social media and how the standards and how damaging it can be for young women, especially because of how impressionable they are at such a young age. Um, I think, it's it's interesting because I I feel like I was had Instagram at the very beginning, you know, when it first when Instagram really first started, and I've you know seen it through now since you know 27, and um, that's always been a consistent theme. It's it's been a consistent theme since you know we were reading teen m- magazines and yes. stuff like that. You know, that hasn't it's not something that's ever it's not new. Um, but I do I I'm proud of dove for you know kind of calling it out um drawing attention to it i think you know one of my key takeaways from all of that too um and maybe this wasn't their intention with the ad but i think having um parents recognize that how they talk about beauty and um body standards and things like that in front of their children is very important um obviously you know, they're already getting it from social media. And so I think there is a lot that um, can come out of a parent's mouth that they're maybe not realizing actually has a strong impact um, on the child. And whether it's a very small comment here or there um, that was not meant to be intentional, but, you know, um, that type of message, I think, will stick with a child very strongly. And then then to also hear it after on social media, then it's just reinforced. Um, yes. So I think I stand with Dove for kind of calling out both of those things um, and bringing some attention to that because I think that's, it's definitely something personally I, you know, have dealt with on, you know, like comments, you know, unintentional comments from, um, you know, my own mother. No, you know, I love her. No worries. It's all good. She's listening to this, but you know, young, being young and hearing, you know, do you really need that? Or yep, are you sure you're hungry? Um, or maybe you should just, yeah, drink some water. That was actually in the Dove commercial. Um, and so I, I had a really strong reaction, emotion, a bit of an emotional reaction to this one. Um, so I, I'm proud of Dove for for saying, you know, putting that out there. Absolutely. Um, I also had a very emotional reaction to this one. Um, I grew up running that I, that was like my sport was track and that was something either my coaches or sometimes my parents would unintentionally say as far as like body image goes, because, you know, just like swimming or any other sport, you know, aerodynamic, you want to make sure you you're lean and mean and all this other stuff. And that was, 
something that really like triggered me um, from this, but in a good way where I see how Dove is taking a stand and I feel like that they've always had such a strong voice um, in this industry of beauty and kind of pushing the envelope because I remember one of my favorite things that they ever did was have women come in and talk about themselves and then show a mirror and start like writing essentially love notes to themselves and helping them see themselves how other people see them. And Mm -hmm. especially for young women now with social media, I can't imagine being a teenager in high school and having all this technology, you know, at the click of a button or something. So I think they did a fantastic job and it was unreal uh, how realistic to the <laughs> deep fake was. I was, was just, crazy. my jaw, yes, my <laughs> jaw was on the floor because I would have believed that. Like if they would have put my mom on that screen, I would have said, oh my gosh, you know, that's her, but that's not actually her words that she's saying. So right. I think it's a huge thing and they're, They've kind of spearheaded this in the past, but they're kind of keeping that ball rolling of challenging almost company, other companies as well of, hey, you know, this is not okay. Or even influencers, because um, I know Unilever and Dove, they do not want to work with influencers who are editing their videos and stuff to to look a certain way, which I so appreciate because it is crazy what people can do to completely alter how they look, which is sad. And instead Dove is almost, to me, I kind of took this as also, you know, own who you are and absolutely you can and should stand out and, you know, be your own person in your own way. Totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I love that Dove has continued to push this message and um, they've been, you know, I, I feel like we're some of the, one of the first companies to talk about using real models and different body sizes and different skin tones. And, um, I, I just, it's, it's cool to see. And I think, um, it, it is interesting and cool to watch this shift happen a little bit because while there are, you know, there are the, the toxic influencers and stuff, I think there are more and more coming up that are very, very open and honest and transparent. Um, yeah. About, you know, having stretch marks or having, you know, old scars or acne scars or whatever it may be. And, you know, there's a couple TikTokers I've seen that are very transparent about it and, you know, will show their tummy rolls and stuff like that. And yes. um, it's cool to see that. I think there is a shift and there's there's something happening there. Um, and so I just hope that that continues um, to move in that direction. Yeah. It's so awesome. I, uh, Dove did the run like a girl campaign in a similar way, right? Where they had people all come in onto the studio and they were like, run yeah. like a girl. And then they, I feel like they have such hip social or like their marketing and they're sort of, it's almost like social experiment marketing where they're, they're trying to yes. reflect maybe yeah. an unhealthy norm that we've all just accepted as, you know, oh, this right. is just <laughs> the way it is. Yeah. And then they, they, sort of shock you into this sort of heightened awareness of how maybe unhealthy or toxic or uh, in need of change these ideas are. I think it's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. They're, you know, taking risks and, um, you know, making people, you know, or kind of just putting it back on you and asking yourself, you know, am I doing this or, you know, right. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. It forces you to reflect. 
Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, this is awesome. I, that's what a great stand with a brand way to go. <laughs> I, I didn't see that before today, but I like to keep, uh, a little bit of a mystery in my prep. Um, so fine. The final section, uh, we just ask a few questions to every guest. Um, and these are less about the world of marketing and more about just you as a person. Uh, so the first question, uh, is what have you done recently for the very first time? Um, yeah, <laughs> I recently, um, for the first time mountain biked, <laughs> um, and got into or start, have started to get into mountain biking. Um, I guess my also first is flipping over my handlebars on a mountain Whoa. bike trail. Oh. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> um, it's something that I've wanted to, you know, get into for the past three or four years, you know, it's a classic Colorado ski mountain bike climb yeah. fish, you know, it's one of those classics, but I always knew I, I would love it. Um, and I've been injured for the past two summers. And so I just, it wasn't the right timing. Um, but now I have a bike I'm borrowing and, uh, it's been a while since I've been a true beginner at something. Um, I haven't, you know, obviously I've been skiing my whole life. I've, um, been active my whole life, but I think it's, I've realized how important it is to challenge yourself and be a total, total novice at something. Um, I've been very humbled <laughs> by how hard it is. And, um, especially the uphill, um, you know, the cardio of that is definitely humbling for me, but it's been a great push and it's, and it's also been a blast. Um, there's so many women mountain bikers in this state. Um, there's so many different like clubs and, um, different girls rides and ladies rides. It's almost overwhelming how many there are. Um, but it's been, it's been really fun. I am covered in bruises, but it's been very fun. <laughs> That's amazing. So you go, That's awesome. this is like big mountain mountain biking of like down those single track lanes and dodging trees and yeah. bears and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no bears yet. Thankfully. Um, no, no tree run-ins yet either, but a couple big rock run-ins. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm still stay, starting um, at, um, on some easy trails, but I get a little bit more and more confident every time I go. And yeah, the single track is fun because it's, you know, there's flowy sections and you get to go up and down and, um, you know, the bikes that are, that exist right now are so like the technology in them is so amazing that we'll just, you know, you just yeah. go over and the suspension works, it does its job and you just go over these rocks. And, um, for me, it's definitely a confidence thing. So I'll see something like, I don't think I can get over that. I don't know. <laughs> um, but then I do. So it's yeah. amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. It's so important to be new at things continually yeah. through your life. It just, it's such a beautiful lesson every time. Uh, the yeah. next question is, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring? This is a tough one. Um, I this this is a tough one because I feel like things are just things, right? And they're they're just physical items, so it's hard to think of something that has a ton of value to me like that. But I think I think if I could choose one, it'd be my um, original, my grandfather's film camera that he gave to me, he gave me a Canon A1 
when I was in, I think just starting high school. Um, and that kind of started my love of photography, started taking photography classes in, in um, high school and then in college and after college. And um, my, I was very close with my grandfather. He is such a strong, amazing individual um, for so many reasons. Um, and he's very, he's, he's quiet, you know, he's, he's a very thoughtful person. Um, and so when he gave me that camera, yeah, it was a big deal. Um, cause he has a collection of film cameras that he's very protective about and they're all in their beautiful leather cases and tucked away in, in a closet. Um, and so I was, I was really honored to have it. Um, and I still shoot with it every once in a while. Film is expensive, but um, yeah, definitely kind of started that love for photography that I now, you know, I shoot all the time and I do that a lot for work. Um, and it's a good reminder to, to keep doing it for fun, um, to keep doing photography and shooting for fun. Cause I do, yeah, I do a lot for Icelandic. Um, and so I, whenever I like pick that camera back up, I'm like, okay, I need to just go shoot. I'm like, let me just go out with my friends and do something fun or, um, yeah. So I think that's probably what I would bring to the show and tell. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's and <laughs> such a beautiful thing because film, it just takes such uh, intention. You know, like now we can yeah. shoot a thousand photos and be like, nah, I didn't like any of them. But back then it was like, <laughs> yeah. you, have a, you have a role and you're like, I have this limited number of pictures. So we have to set up every single one or try to catch something in this yeah. beautiful, candid moment. I'm in awe of film photographers. Yeah. I think it's just remarkable. Yes, same. Yeah, it's it's cool. It was it was the way I was traditionally taught. You know, my first class before we would even be allowed to really shoot on any digital, we had to shoot with film, and we had to develop our our own film and do the whole darkroom process. And you know, if we wanted to lighten a part of an image, learning how to dodge and burn with our hands and the you know the light and everything. Um, and I'm really grateful for that because I went to an amazing high school where that was an uh, you know, a class that was offered. Um, but yeah, it, it was so cool to learn that way originally. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I love that. Uh, our last question is if you, uh, were to run into yourself, a younger version of yourself, what piece of advice do you think you'd want to impart? Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, this is also tough because I, I so often feel like I'm still young. <laughs> I still need advice. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's sometimes you look at yourself and kind of question if you're qualified to, to answer this kind of question. But I think I would say to myself or another, you know, younger person in my position, um, to just not keep, not stop asking questions and pushing. Um, and, you know, when it comes to kind of fighting for what you want and where you want to be in life and your career, um, you know, I think I was, I definitely kind of had to elbow my way in. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, knowing what you want and being persistent about it, um, especially as a young person right out of college, um, you know, 
elbow your way in and be persistent and, and ask questions. You know, if you don't get the job, well, why, what can I do? What can I improve on? Um, it, is there something in an ideal candidate you were looking for that I didn't have? What was that, you know, and, and learning and using that information to continue to excel. Um, I think like, especially when you're right out of college and you're looking at jobs and everywhere has a, you know, three to five to seven years experience requirement, you know, it's, it's easy to get intimidated, I think. And I think being confident and knowing, you know, obviously not lying and saying you're more qualified than you are, but being confident and know that, you know, even if you're young, you can still kind of fight and get what you want. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. There's so often barriers to entry that are so intimidating that I feel like it discourages people from even attempting. And I think, I think that's essentially maybe the goal of those is to discourage the people that aren't willing to keep pushing and keep asking those questions and keep going like, well, I think, I think there can be an asterisk on that three to seven year requirement. I think, I think if you sit down (laughs) and have a conversation (laughs) with me, um, maybe we can work around that. Um, Yeah. But Hannah, this is, oh, keep going. I just wanted to give a shout out to, um, you know, I, obviously when we started talking about this podcast and coming on, I, I listened to a lot of the episodes and I really liked, um, I think her name was Zaria. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. a Duolingo social episode. media mogul yes. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. And, um, I mean, awesome work getting her on your podcast. Cause I remember seeing those TikToks and social media when it first came out and I was like, this is a young woman out there, like pushing it and, you know, pushing some risks and, you know, doing what she wants, what she thinks is going to work and getting into her career, how she wants to. And, just kind of going off of what I said, I was just like, this, this woman is amazing. I have so much admiration for her. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I just wanted to give a little shout out to yeah. her because I kind of feel like that inspired my, the answer to that last question a little bit. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah she it felt like right Thank after you. we recorded <laughs> that episode, every article on my LinkedIn was like, Zaria Parvez wins another social yeah. media marketer of the year. Zaria Parvez. <laughs> it was like, Oh wow. my gosh. It was awesome. She, she deserves that too. I mean, she yeah. fully owns that and that's so cool. It's rad to see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so excited to go. Yeah. Thanks so much. Look at all these national park skis. I don't know. Icelandic just seems like the coolest company. Colorado company <laughs> with great art yeah. and a cool core mission and like community at a, I don't know, female CEO. I love it all. Yeah. It's beautiful. Come hang out with us. We're we're gonna have a few kind of get together parties this summer and then yeah, how do you know, we hopefully find a lot out more about events. The events. How do we yeah. how do we figure out how to come party with you guys? <laughs> yeah, I mean definitely <laughs> our social media <laughs> is where we probably post most of our stuff, you know. We'll, we'll put events on our like Facebook, but social media for sure. Our newsletter, um, I'm working on building out a kind of events experience as part of our website, but that's still in the works. Um, but yeah, always feel free to reach out. We're, we're always willing to hang out with people who love the brand and just want to hang out. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Love well, it. thank you. Thank you again. It's been such a joy talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you for uh, for having me. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, 
Strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. Pie and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.